what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. January 31st, 2020, episode 116. It's Friday, Carter. It's not only Friday, it's the last day of January already. What the hell happened, dude? I don't know. Just a minute ago, we were celebrating 2020, and now we're already into almost February. Tomorrow will be February. (laughs) I hope 2020 doesn't go faster than 2019 did, man. But tomorrow's going to be February. It's insane. Uh, Yeah, so how... What's this whole countdown? What's this whole dispute over the countdown? You and I just like spent well, a half hour trying to figure out how many days we have left till Daytona. Well, I like going by amanationalnumber.com and I like going by, I have an app on my phone and it's a countdown to that day. Gotcha. I think what AFT is doing, their countdown, it goes to the start of the race, which is later on in the afternoon. Gotcha. So we're going to back it up and do what we think is right. That means 43 days till Daytona, and that makes me happy. <laughs> Whatever we got to do to be able to say 43. That's awesome, and there's some pretty special 43s. I know one. Well, I just saw, actually, on amanationalnumber.com that James Rispoli is going to be running run the number 43 in the 2020 season. Before that, it was uh, empty for a few years. Sammy Halbert had it, but before Sammy had it, I had it, and right before I had it, Smoke and Joe Cop. Had it the year he won the championship was 2000, and uh, that's when I got my national number. So I had it for uh, 01 and 02, even though I didn't race very much. Before that, there's a couple of fast guys named Mike, Mike Gilkey, and Mike Baldwin, who wanted to be a, a pretty decent road racer, had it. There's a few others, too, but I just want to mention the big names. Yeah, it's all good. I'm sure uh, Rispoli gave you a call and just made sure it was okay if he ran that 43, right? No, but you know what? I did ask <laughs> Joe Cobb back in the day, whenever I got my points i asked joe cop if it's okay if i had the 43 and he said absolutely because i was 43 g before that no it's super cool uh so yeah 43 days man I, I would love to talk about some new stuff but i haven't seen much on the on the news front of you i haven't seen hardly anything either yeah. so it's been pretty quiet which uh i figured we see a few more announcements coming pretty soon uh maybe we will uh i know you know a few things are still yet to be determined i know a few riders still looking for some rides but i, I expected to see a few more press releases this week and there just weren't any big news dropping so well since there's a, a shortage of the flat track news out there uh that means we're gonna have to up our game and kind of do a little more for this weekend what do you think so a little bit more like in more podcasts or more guests more guests you, uh, i mean i had this idea there's a lot of badass women that cover the sport of flat track. There's a lot that come to mind, but uh, I say we talk to a few, maybe even more, and have them as our interviews this week. What do you think? I'm down with that. I just, I, you know, I, I don't know how you're going to come across with just the ones you want to talk to, because there's a bunch of them out there. So there are. Um, there's, I, don't want to, I don't want anybody to get mad at us for leaving somebody out. Well, we're going to have to narrow it down to people that are, like, covering the sport now, because, right, there's, you got people like Miriam. The amount of stuff she did for the sport, you can't even put into words, right? Um, covering with Flat Track Live, not just at the Nationals, but on some of the local races and the outlaw races, too, and just helping riders in general. Um, you got, you know, old announcers, you know, we had a episode with Heather DeBeau, um, Kim Kuhn, who covered the sport for a while too. Danny Medine, who I know, I know his last name is not Medine anymore, right? She got married. Um, but she did a ton, right. uh, another badass who helped cover the sport. And I'm sure there's several that came, uh, before I was even introduced to flat track. Danielle, 
right? Did she do stuff for it? Daniel Daniel Teal. Yeah. Daniel Teal mostly did stuff with Road Race, but she gotcha. still uh, she helped get our when I Corey and I had a, a radio we call it a flat track weekly radio show, but Daniel Teal was a big part in getting that going. Badass. Uh, she still is with Next Moto Champion, so she still in, is involved with motorcycles, just on mostly on the road race side. All right. So this is the idea of, that we 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 found four badass women that we're going to highlight that are currently in the sport involved in the sport doing things to help flat track uh we're probably going to have a two-part series we'll, we'll release one today on friday and then part two we'll release tomorrow what do you think so that's double work for me no it's quadruple work for you um but well, you know. <laughs> quad, quadruple work for me so how much more work is that for you is that you're even gonna like get times four times what? the amount that you get for a normal episode so in a normal episode just do the math normal episode you get zero Four times zero is what? Zero. Yeah, yeah. So zero. does that work? Does that work? It's four yeah. times the amount you, you usually get. And for the price, the price is right because it's zero bucks to listen to this. Right, thing. exactly. It's zero dollars. So it all works <laughs> out. See? I, that, I, I make sure you're taking care of, you know, on, on the financial side of things too. But no, I think Perfect. that you want to hear the four that we're going to talk to or you just want to hear the first two that we're going to talk to in this episode? Let's just do two. Okay. And we'll talk about the next two tomorrow. All right. Well, the first two we have up, Miss Kristen Beat, who will be a Mrs. here soon, because I think she just got engaged in this offseason, right? And then we have Joy Burgess, who is a writer and manages social media for Thunder Press magazine. So uh, you know Joy pretty well. You've, uh, we'll get into why you know her and, and uh, the story there once we once we talk with her. And everybody knows Kristen Beat covered the sport uh, as the pit reporter and did a lot uh, on the NBCSN shows for the 2019 season. Looking forward to talking to both of them because, you know, I've seen Kristen beat on, on the NBCSN shows and on Fans' Choice, but I actually know that she, you know, hurt back from my NASCAR days a little bit. But I don't know really how she got into the sport, uh, wh- why she covers the sport the way she does and all that stuff. So we can maybe talk to her about that and Joy. I really don't know anything about. So um, it'll be super cool. I'm right there with you. I've worked I've worked with Kristen last year in Arena Cross and also in Flat Track, and I worked with her so far early on this year in the Kicker Arena Cross series. And she, you know, she what she does for Kicker Arena Cross is the similar thing as what she does for Flat Track. So we don't work directly with each other, but yet we had we go over and have the same notes, so we have the same conversations in both Arena Cross and in Flat Track. So uh, I can't wait to learn more about these girls. Let's give them a call. Let's start. Uh, let's start with Kristen Beat. What do you say? Call her up. Hey, Scotty. Kristen B. Well, it's been it's been like a couple of days since I've seen you. Where are you at right now? The hours have passed so slowly since I've seen you last. <laughs> uh, where where did you end up? I know last time I saw you was Saturday uh, at the Kicker Arena Cross in Guthrie, Oklahoma. So where are you now? Currently, I'm in Clearwater, Florida with my lovely fiance and our puppy dog, Rocky. He's getting ready for spring training, so we have officially migrated from the West Coast to the East Coast. <laughs> Rock, Rocky Balboa, your dog's in spring training? Of course he is. He's ready to hit some home runs. Cole practices uh, his pitching to Rocky all the time. I got you. So <laughs> for people that don't know, there was a big engagement over the off season. You guys went somewhere where there's a beach and it was nice and warm and you got engaged officially. So where, where did that happen and how'd that go down? Yeah. My dad finally gave Cole his permission and, uh, we went on vacation to Kauai. We did like a little surf trip and a little, um, kind of beach hopping trip and, all of a sudden Cole's like, Hey, we're going to wake up the next morning and we're going to go on this hike and we're going to go up to these rocks. And I kind of smile at him and I'm like, that's funny. No, we're not. <laughs> because <laughs> it was super early. The times he was telling me, it's like, Oh, it's like seven o'clock. We're going to do a sunrise hike. 
And I was like, okay. And then I go, well, I'm going to set out like some sweatpants and a sweatshirt and stuff. It's going to be cold. And he's like, are you sure you don't want to look cute? And right. <laughs> of course I turned to him and I'm like, what? And he's like, well, you, you might want to dress cute. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm thinking he's just planning like a picture or something. I kind of knew that he was going to pop the question, um, but I didn't know exactly when. I didn't think it'd be at 7 a.m. Uh, <laughs> after a hike. But yeah, right. so uh, we get up to the top, the top of this hill and it's Friday the 13th, which I thought was funny, but he didn't like, it never processed when he was planning this. And he gets down <laughs> on a knee and I said, yes. And I'm like, finally. And so thankfully someone has decided to put up with me in this crazy life I live. <laughs> That's awesome. So for people that don't know, your fiance is a professional baseball player and he played for the Phillies uh, near the end of the season last year. What is his last name? His name is Cole. Obviously you said that. What's his last name? guacamole coley guacamole coley guacamole <laughs> i'm gonna have to get that trading card right away and get that signed right no it's cole urban so he's a left-handed pitcher in the phillies organization and uh i couldn't have been more proud of him last year he made his debut when we first met he was still in triple a and uh, last year was an emotional roller coaster as you know scotty i left Paris Raceway. As soon as the race was over, my dad rushed me, drives me to Ontario Airport. I catch a red eye. I land in Kansas City the next morning at like eight o'clock. He's pitching at like a noon or a one o'clock game. So we go straight from the airport to the baseball game. I cried. It was blessed all over NBC. And I officially became like the crying Jordan of baseball wives. So yeah, <laughs> but that is so cool. I mean, to be a part of it from, you know, from the early goings and making your, your pro debut. And it was so cool that you got to be there for him. It really was special. And I think that anyone in sports can identify with that feeling of how much you sacrificed throughout the year, throughout your career, throughout your life. I mean, it's really hard to live on the road as motocross riders, AFT riders, NASCAR folks know, like this is a long season and it's very similar in baseball. And to finally get that opportunity, I mean, I would consider it to being a privateer rider and getting a call from like factory Kawasaki and Supercross or like the Indian team giving a, a Morgan Mishler, you know, a call. It's one of those moments where you're like, wait, is this really happening to me? And all this emotion just overcomes you and you don't know how to process it. And so obviously I cried a lot. <laughs> Uh, I, I imagine so. I'd, I'd probably cry too, just knowing the story. I mean, it's incredible. So congratulations on getting officially engaged uh, over the winter. But uh, now I want to get to know a little bit more about Kristen Beat, and so do our fans. And, and we're covering the great women who cover our sports. So the first thing I want to know is how did you get into racing? So when I was, I'm going to say four or five, my dad got me a P-dub and he painted the rims purple for me. And it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> so we grew up on nobbies. So uh, I grew up around motocross and supercross. And when I got to be, and I do have to tell a story. I have a picture of me on a starting gate and I'll have to send you the picture later on. It's on Instagram too, but I have two front teeth that are missing. And on the same starting line is Michael Lessie, which I think is kind of a funny story. And I did get the whole shot in that moto. So wow. just throwing it out there. Back when, back when I was on P-dubs, I had a good hole shot. So I have a better hole shot than Michael Lessie. <laughs> That's awesome. That was cool. That was going to, that was going to lead into my next question. So you did race. So how long did you race motorcycles? I raced until I was about 13 years old. And as most people know, racing is expensive. It is not, um, I know it, it's not like baseball where you buy a bat and ball and you can go out to the field. It's a really expensive sport. And growing up, you know, my dad was a mechanic and worked construction and my mom volunteered a lot at the church and we didn't have funds to have two kids race because I have an older brother. So when I got to be a little bit older and bikes get more expensive, as you know, I, 
my parents sat me down and asked me, like, is this something you really want to do? And I knew why they were asking me that at the time. And I, I told them, you know, I would be just as happy watching Ryan. And so they got me a Canon camera and I started taking pictures and every race we would go to, to watch my brother ride, which my brother eventually, uh, got a supercross license, raced supercross for a few years, was a test rider for factory Kawasaki. And then now he builds off road trucks. And so I'm very proud of him for that. But uh, every race he would go to, I'd take pictures. And when I was in high school, I thought that's a route that I might want to pursue, but I was also uh, considering being a sports manager. And I went to college at the university of San Diego, got my degree in pre-law because I wanted to actually become a sports manager. And I wanted to work and help athletes because I, I always, thought it was very interesting that there was no union to protect uh, motocross athletes. And there was always a union for baseball players, basketball players, football players. There's the MLB players union, and there's all these different um, organizations that help advocate for the athletes. So I wanted to get my law degree to do that, but uh, I was detoured in college as I was interning for Wasserman media group. And I was interning with Steve Astafin and I get a call and they're like, Hey, we know you used to take pictures uh, and you used to write articles for motocross.com and this different sites. That's right. And turned out now part of the sports management internship was writing content for their athlete website. Could you come out and cover this event on fuel TV? It's a freestyle motocross thing. The girl that we have got sick and sure enough, I go out there and I had a blast doing it and domino effect, you know, 20 years later, I'm, I'm still doing it. So I kind of got caught crazy. up in it and I realized, yeah. And I realized through telling stories, I could advocate for the athletes so much more efficiently because just having a law degree isn't going to change the sport. The bigger the sport gets, and this is speaking holistically to all motorsports, the more the sports grow, the more that people become in love with it the way that I'm in love with it, the more we can do for the riders. So uh, I, I realized that by telling stories, I could eventually get closer to the objective that I had once entered the sport for. Wow, that is such a good story. I didn't. I knew some of that. I did not know you raced motorcycles. I knew that your brother was into <laughs> off-road uh, vehicles because we talked about that at the Arizona Super TT last year. Yeah. And then you said your dad was into sports and had a track record at some of the, one of the tracks we went to too. So I knew your family was involved, but I had no idea that you mm -hmm. raced as well. Yeah, and then my dad had a track record at Ascot, which used to be SoCal track. Guys would run sprint cars and flat track bikes at, and my dad had a record in both, which is kind of cool. So uh, definitely a motorsports-driven family, and poor mom. <laughs> mom goes to church and prays for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't participate? Does she go at all and, and see what's going on, or does she just sit back and take it in from the sidelines? She used to go to a lot of Ryan's races. She will not go to the truck races as much anymore because she would be watching through her fingers and praying the entire time. And people would like look over in the stands and be like, is that lady okay? But she would just be praying the whole time. And she'll come and watch arena cross races. And when I covered Monster Cup, she came out there for that. And she'll come out every once in a while. But for her, she just loves watching it from home. And she gets so proud every time one of our American Flat Track races aired last year. She would not only DVR, but she called Grandma Peterson, who lives up in Alpine. She calls Grammy Bobby, and she calls all the grandparents and tells them all to turn it on. So right. if you guys are wondering why there's this in, in viewership, it's probably due to the Beat family. <laughs> That's, that is awesome. So your first job, you just said, at, was talent at, in freestyle motocross, but you also did some work yeah. early on with NASCAR. Is that right? Yeah. So my first job out of college, my first full-time, they're actually going to pay me something job with as Miss Sprint Pup. <laughs> and there's kind of a funny story with that too. I didn't initially apply for that job. I had 
been aware of it because I mean, obviously we watch NASCAR races and my grandma Peterson told me, Kristen, you, you need to apply for that job. And as I was getting ready to graduate, I, like I told you, I was kind of lost. I took my LSAT. I passed the LSAT. I applied to Pepperdine and a few other colleges to go to law school. I was also doing this broadcasting kind of part-time and I was really unsure of the direction I was going to take. And my grandma goes, Chris, you need to apply for this. I'm like, no, grandma, it's not a pageant. And she used to take me to pageants. I was Miss El Cajon. I was Miss San Diego. Um, I was runner up at Miss California. And so she was very like pageanty pushy. And she's like, look, it's perfect. It's motorsports. Like you should go do this. And she actually ended up sending in my initial application. Wow. <laughs> and I got a call. And, yeah. And so I got a call like two weeks later and I'm like, what? 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 Like the spring club? I, I don't know if this is the right job for me, but like, I, I'll send you a follow-up because they told me what the salary is. And for a kid right out of college, that's a good number. So I went ahead and went through the interview process, got the job. And from there, NASCAR production gave me a call and said, Hey, we have an opening on pit road in the NASCAR Canon series. Would you like to go in that direction? And I said, yes. And covering the Canon series was so much fun. It was eye-opening to me. It was a great opportunity to get live reps because I'd never done a full TV series. Like when I covered freestyle motocross events or, you know, surfing stuff for fuel TV, it was always a little bit here. Like here's one show a month or here's a show three months from that. It was never consistent, right? When I got to do the K&N series, that was a once, you know, every week you fly out here, you drive here, you get to cover this here. And it really allowed me to get my feet wet as a true sideline reporter. It was cool. So you did that for a little while. And then when the the TV deal came along and they switched things up, you know, sometimes you kind of get, you know, opted out, not because you did anything wrong, but then you started working for some local news. Is that right? Yeah. So kind of story of the uh, world of broadcast and entertainment, as you, you well know, Scotty, like it is Mm -hmm. a crazy world out there. And when people talk about silly season, like our whole season is silly season because you never know where they're going to send you or what's going to happen and uh so nascar canon series transitions over to nbc i was without a job one year out of college i called mom and dad and asked if they could send me money for groceries <laughs> <laughs> and then i started applying for other jobs and i just thought well i could go back to school and i could go to law school but that's really expensive too and you know i do have re- experience reporting And I really like traditional sports. I grew up watching just as much football, baseball, basketball as I did motorsports. And I think that also helped me um, eventually. Maybe sometime when we go out for coffee, I'll talk to you about that one. But I I love traditional traditional sports. And I applied for a job, which was the only sports reporter position open at the time, like in the entire country, in Lansing, Michigan, which is a very small town. It's a college town. It's right next to MSU, but it's, it's a pretty small market. And I got the job immediately, came up and started uh, hosting sports and anchoring sports in Lansing for an NBC Fox duopoly. On the Fox show, I would do morning news. So I'd start, I'd get there at like 5 a.m. And I'd cover traditional hard-hitting news. So presidential elections and house fires from the morning, like the morning slot after we were done covering news news, I'd go and start covering sports for WILX, which was the NBC affiliate. And I'd start, uh, you know, going on shooting or doing interviews or covering sports. And so uh, I did that for a little while, which was so cool. Like working in a newsroom, if you're ever wanting to pursue true reporting or journalism, don't 
skip steps because I wish that I would have known what I knew leaving Lansing before I took the K&N job because I think that I would have been given more opportunities and had a better standing had I done the traditional news thing first. Okay, so, <laughs> right. So in, in your opinion, what's the difference between a journalist and a reporter? I think a journalist asks inquisitive questions. They study, like right now, for example, I'm reading Socratic questioning, and it's about not just knowing the content that you're covering, but knowing how to get the content that you want. Because a lot of times in sports, like Scotty, how many times do you know what Jared Meese is thinking after a race? I'd say pretty right. frequently, like, you know, you, you know right. how to read that athlete, but just asking him, tell me about that race. Isn't going to get the answer that you necessarily want. Like I want him to speak on the devastation of not being able to back up a championship in 2019. So how do you word that in a good question? Like you frame it a certain way to elicit an answer that, you know, psychologically is in that person's head already. So I learned that in a newsroom and I learned how to cover stories, like really cover stories and write them the the right way and have a beginning, a middle and an end. And something that I also took away from being in a newsroom was the approach to sports journalism. So when you watch like a football or a baseball and a basketball game, they cover those sports so well. And something that I think motorsports oftentimes misses the ball at is that they make these sweeping generalizations because they're afraid of overwhelming the casual fan. And I think we we're we're covering, we're doing a disservice for our own sport by doing that because the biggest complaint that I get from my friends in traditional sports is that, oh, you know, watching racing is like watching paint dry. If we continue to cover racing as if our fan isn't as smart as we are, we're going to continue giving them that impression. So when we start talking about the bike and the mechanics and we start talking about the geometry of hitting the apex and we start talking about the length of the track and how it affects the rider's stamina, that's when we make the the race interesting, right? And so I learned that from traditional sports. Like when I was in Lansing, Michigan, I get a call from the Detroit affiliate. They say, hey, can you come up and start covering the Lions, Tigers, and some Red Wings games for the Fox Sports Detroit up there? So I started covering a few of these, filling in for people, and I, I learned really what depth in a sport means and looks like, right? So like athlete preparation and the dedication to the sport. And so when you can find athletes like a Jared Meese or Briar Bowman, even a Shana Texter who will go out to Heldon Baker's camp and, and take away these little nuggets and share those with people at home, they start to see the amount of, I don't want to say preparation because I feel like that's the wrong word, but, but the amount that these writers put into the sport, you know, and then that's mm-hmm. what makes it interesting. And it, it truly is such a cool sport. And so like when we can, when I can take what I learned in the newsroom and apply it to motorsports, that's when I think we hit the money. And like what I have, I'll watch my shows and the yeah, others, you know, show once in a while when you don't hit the nail on the head, but when we get it right, like when we can tell a really good story, one example, last year, we talked about Briar Bauman in the fuel cell and adding just the inch to give him a pinch more and that kind of stuff and him running out of fuel the year prior to like, that's when we really have a story. And that's when I look at a show and I'm like, I am proud of that. Like that is, that's, that's the difference between a reporter and a journalist. That was a very long answer, but very detailed, and I loved every second of it. That was incredible. I thought so. Uh, how, how you just funny. broke that down? No, that was I just I loved it because it, it's different ways people think about the sport and different things that they learn from the sport, and and you just made people realize what they should be doing, or maybe they can do their homework to learn more about what mm-hmm. you're talking about. So I just I love that mm-hmm. answer. That was amazing. So. Um, you also did some, some coverage of some Hot Wheels stuff, some Monster Energy Cup, Kicker Arena Cross, some other Kicker events. 
Um, you've covered mm-hmm. a whole lot of things in, in, in such a short time. Well, I, I appreciate that you called it such a short time because I'd like to feel younger. <laughs> you're, you're like only like 21, aren't you? Yeah, I'm definitely only 21. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So uh, obviously growing up around Navi Sports, I got a call when I was in Michigan and Feld Entertainment, which owned Supercross and at the time Arena Cross, gives me a call and they're like, hey, do you want to come out and cover the Arena Cross series? And at that time, I kind of, I think, ran the length of my race in Lansing and I was considering moving to a different market. I had a, a few offers from uh, higher markets. And I thought, you know what? I've always loved motorsports. That's where my heart is. I grew up around it. And I will always be able to go back to the newsroom. I could always wake up one day and be like, you know what? The traveling is too much. I'm only young once. Let's do it. So I quit my job in Michigan. I started covering the Arena Cross Series. And then two years in a row, they asked me to come back and do the Monster Energy Cup for Supercross. Because at the time, Jenny Taft was covering Supercross and was covering college football during Monster Energy Cup season. So I was able to fill in for her at those races, which was such a blast. The amenities, so a lot of people don't realize, Scotty, like when we're covering smaller, like a, not a smaller series, but a different series, sometimes you don't have the same amenities. You don't have a stats book in front of you that you can reference be like, this is his fifth win of the season. Um, all that stuff comes from your head during a race. Like when you're, and I'm always, astounded by the things that you can contribute to a show that you just know offhand. But when you're covering something like the monster energy cup, I mean, you get these TVs in front of you where you can see what the cameras are seeing and listen to what the play-by-play guys are saying, which helps, helps you follow the race too. And you get to see close up what's happening. Cause there's times at AFT races, I can only see part of the track or I can only see this corner here. And you're the same way when you call races. So when I get to cover something like Monster Energy Cup, you have all of these incredible amenities. You have these stat books, you have the playback, you have people in your ear that are helping you. You have a field assistant who can run over and grab that rider and have them ready for you. So you're not up there scrambling, grabbing people's jerseys and pulling them over. So just being able to work at a level that was a little higher than I had ever worked at before also opened my eyes to what it could be like should I continue down this road and it motivates you because you think I want to be there because imagine how proficient I could be at my calling if I had that help. And so there's always kind of that little background motivation in your head. That's like, keep working and you'll get there. Right on. Right on. So the reason I called you is because you covered uh, American flat track in 2019. So how did that opportunity come to you? And when did you know you're going to start working with American flat track? That's a funny story. I found out like the week before I went to Daytona. Uh, it was official. I actually never signed a contract until after Daytona, which was <laughs> definitely <laughs> interesting. I uh, At the time, I was in Clearwater for spring training with Cole already, and I literally just wrapped up the Arena Cross series that I was working on with Fox. And I got a call from AFT, Jared Johnson actually gave me a call when I was still in California before we came out to spring training and said, Hey, like your name's been tossed around a few times. I'm Jared. What do you know about flat track racing? And I said, you know, I don't know a lot about flat track racing. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I know a lot about racing, but I work hard and I will study and I will learn things. And I think sometimes that's better because when you know everything, you're not that inquisitive fan at home, you know? So like when you're too immersed in a sport, I think that can also be a bad thing because you're not, at least for a field reporter, I think for an analyst, it's the most wonderful thing in like in the world. But as a sports reporter, as like a sideline 
journalists, you want to still have a little bit of curiosity. So like wonder what happens when this happens, because people at home who may be casual fans are wondering the same thing. So anyway, <laughs> uh, I get the call from Jared and I tell him, I, I don't know much about it, but I will work hard and I will learn it. And I will use all of the tools that I have developed and gotten along the way to try to give people at home a true look at what this sport looks like. And then a week later, NASCAR calls me and says, hey, we're sending you down to Daytona. Like, good luck. Have fun. I get there. I felt like at first, um, the first race, I was completely out of my element. I had no clue what I was doing. I got there. I had no idea what was going on. And uh, thankfully for you, Scotty Zubler, <laughs> I, I survived Daytona and they brought me back for Atlanta. And then as the season progressed, I started to feel more comfortable. And now like it's, I, I love flat track. I, I never thought I'd say that to be honest. I never thought I'd be like, this is the coolest sport on the planet, but I kind of feel that way now. And it is, it really is. It is such a cool sport and the paddock is just so unique and there's so many diverse, unique characters. I mean, you got a guy like Jeffrey Carver and then you got a guy like Jared Mees and you could not talk about a more different approach and mentality off the track, but yet being able to break those shells open and explore these people as humans and athletes. It's, it's such a privilege. Like I'm so grateful to work in AFT. Right on. So what were your expectations when, when Jared gave you the call and, and NASCAR says you're going down to Daytona, what was your expectations about going into a new sport called flat track? You know, I went and I watched a lot of film because I am the kind of person who will watch film and hit the books and study. And I looked at races from last year and I kind of had a general perspective. I felt like it was NASCAR meets Supercross. So like the NASCAR version of Supercross, which I've covered NASCAR and I've covered Supercross. So this would kind of fall right in between there. And I think my expectation was to go in and cover it like I had covered arena cross but you can't do that and I learned that very quickly because in supercross or motocross you have this very diverse track you have very diverse elements you're talking about so many different things but you have less riders and American flat track you have a ton of riders a ton of personality a ton of emotion and you have tracks that are just as diverse. So the amount of content that I was able to just in the first weekend absorb and learn, like I, my mind was blown, literally, like just every emoji you could think of, just like the exploding head. That was me the first weekend. And I ran with it and I just, I loved it. It was so cool. So I think it exceeded my expectations of what I thought I'd be covering and what I actually was blessed with being able to do. Right on. Well, you, you definitely had some big shoes to fill, you know, following the likes of Heather DeBoe and others. And I just wanted to say I was blown away by your hustle in the pits. And I was also impressed with your ability to follow the action and ask relevant questions right out of the gate. Thank you. Well, I mean, that's, I think that's part of being a journalist. Like, no, I, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself being a super knowledgeable, you know, I'm not a writer anymore. I'm not in the circle, I'm not in the mix. I don't, you know, hang out with a lot of the people in the sport just because of the way my schedule is and proximity as well. But I study psychology. I study the sport. I study athletes in general, and I'm around professional sports so frequently that I wanted to bring that level of professionalism to AFT because I think that's something that all motorsports can improve upon right now is like really understanding the 
the psychology behind the sport, the athleticism, um, you know, even just this off season now, I've started to keep in touch with some of the riders and ask them about their diets and, and what they're doing and kind of learning about what different people are making, you know, how different riders are changing as they continue to get older or, you know, their program might be changing. And that's something that I wanted to bring to it. And I feel like I continue to bring to it. And it's fun. It's so much fun to like learn about it and see what they're doing and see, you know, even this year, you know, I'd recommended the Tom Brady book to Jared Mees and he starts sending me pictures about like what they're doing or what they're cooking and some of the recipes and that kind of stuff makes me so happy. Like it just makes my heart happy to know that like, not only is this paddock so welcoming, but that I can hopefully, and my goal is always to leave the sport a little bit better than I came in and set a, set a new bar. Absolutely. I, I, one thing that I loved about the 2019 season is the banter between us. When you were finding something out down the pits or if you talk to a rider, uh, the one thing that really popped to my mind is Harley Davidson was struggling, uh, especially the production twin class at Springfield. And you were telling me what was mm-hmm. going on and telling the fans that, hey, uh, Dalton Gauthier is changing a complete engine right now as we speak. And, mm-hmm. and that's something that, that I really enjoyed and it gave something for me and Brad Baker to talk about back and forth. But just having that information and you relaying that information was was awesome. Thank you. Well, a lot of people don't know that the – uh, fans choice broadcast is separate from the NBC show, right? So like my job last year was the NBC show, but as the season progressed, like I find myself around, you know, practice time and qualifying, looking at my phone, being like, Oh my gosh, three hours to the race. Like, what am I going to do until the race? And as far as fans choice goes, my actual role with fans choice was only to do podium interviews and just basically no one ever told me like, Hey, go and start doing this for fans choice. But I like my job. I love what I do. I like telling stories. I like learning. Like I like asking questions. And so I go up to, um, gosh, who was our producer at the time? Dwayne. Dwayne. I go up to Dwayne and I'm like, Dwayne, would you care if I started just like popping into the show right now? Because I need to stay hot. Like I need to stimulate myself. I need to start working on this. And sometimes the best way to even get notes or gather like info is to just be doing it. So, uh, he's like, do you want to? And I was like, yeah, I would really actually like that. And so I grabbed the mic and we started doing the fans choice show. And when I could pop in, it was fun. And I like working with you, Scotty. Like, I feel like what's really cool about being a sideline reporter is also the relationships you get to have with the analysts. And I love being able to toss things around with you and like ask you questions in the show that I'm just, like, I think there's a few times I toss them and like, Scotty, what do you think of this? Like, what do you make of that? And it was fun. Like we got to have a conversation while we were at work. So right, I, right. I enjoyed it. It was a blast. It was so cool. And we, we had a similar conversation at Hobbs, New Mexico, just a few weeks ago for an arena cross, because there's a great big mm-hmm. left sweeping, sweeping turn. And you actually, what I, what I liked is you actually valued my opinion enough to use it in your broadcast because <laughs> they were using a flat track corner. And I was trying to describe how they, the, you know, the arena cross riders would tackle that corner differently than they would when there's a berm. Right. And I thought it, that's why I love you being there is because I can bounce ideas off of you and ask you that kind of stuff. And in flat track, you're right in your element. But even in New Mexico, you know, you kind of notice it's a flat track turn. You're the one that brought it to my attention. And so I started asking around the pits to 
him, the guy who had flat track experience, and I asked you, like, what the riders do. And when you mentioned that they move back a little bit further on the rear wheel to get traction, I'm like, ding, 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 like, like, it's just like, it's just like flat track, and I can use that in my track reports. And it's that, and it's that little bit of information that when you're watching the race, even an analyst, like, at least for arena cross, may not make that reference. Like, this is actually a flat track technique. And the guys who have done flat track before are way more comfortable sliding back on the seat and creating rear traction. And they even think that way because Navi riders don't think that way. They just, you know, they, they haven't been trained that way, but guys like Jay Owen and Jared Sankey, who grew up doing flat track know that. And I started noticing it during the race. They'll scoot back just a little bit, just a little bit to get that rear traction. So it's cool when you can have that perspective and you can gain that relationship and you and I can call a races in that manner. It's so much fun. Like, we have a really cool job. <laughs> yeah, to- totally agree. I-, I totally agree. So we're already at the part of the episode where it's time for Graham's question. And I don't know if you met Graham uh, throughout the season, but that's uh, my grandma. We call her Graham, but she has a question for all Hi, of our Graham. guests. <laughs> she wants to Where's know. Well, for- no, she's tell not here with hi. me right now. I will tell her. I'll-, I'll call her as soon as we get off this phone. I'll tell you said hi. But uh, she said she loved what you brought to the sport as a reporter. And she wants to know... Uh, what was your favorite memory from the 2019 AFT season? Hmm. My favorite memory. Okay. So this is going to sound kind of cliche, but I love seeing women. I love seeing girls just kick ass. And so seeing Shana Texter get that win in Texas, I think that was her first one of the season was Texas last year. And mm-hmm. watching her just rip. I mean, just absolutely rip last year and seeing someone as small in stature as she is just go out there and put on a show, how strong she performed, how, I mean, just fearless she raced. That to me was inspiring because I mean, recently, you know, we watched, we lost Kobe Bryant and that was hard for me to process, but like thinking back, his a great quote that he once said was that, I want to inspire other people to be great at whatever they choose to do. And that's why it's so important to be an inspirational role model. And that to me is what Shana Texter is like. Shana Texter inspires other women to be great. Shana Texter inspires greatness in anyone she meets because of what she's done and the barriers and the glass ceilings that she's broken. So to see her get a win in Texas, like I was emotional because I've never seen something like that before in motorsports. Like in Nobby, it's unheard of, you know, women don't, there is no woman super fast rider yet. I think there are a few that may, may give them a run for their money down the road, but like Sheena Texter is just breaking barriers. She's, she, and I, the craziest thing too, is like, she's so humble. It's like, she doesn't know that she is making history with every lap she takes. And it was, I felt humble standing next. I, like, I felt so humble. I was like, gosh, like I'm so lucky just to be standing next to this woman right now. So that was probably my favorite memory. It's her first win of the season. Gotcha. Yeah, she's a badass, and she's you know she's winningest AFT singles rider in 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 history, and she's only the only mm-hmm. woman rider to do that. So, and and that just doesn't happen in, in motocross, or arena cross, or supercross. So it's pretty cool. It doesn't happen uh, anywhere. It doesn't happen in NASCAR. Like, I mean, how many times true. have at least I, I as a woman have like watched races and been disappointed because we've gotten so close. Like us women have gotten so close, but Shayna's doing it, and like. She's doing it with style and class and elegance. And she's just such a nice person. Like when she takes off the helmet too, like you couldn't ask for a better ambassador of the sport. And I'm not just like blowing smoke because like, she's, she's my girl. Like she's my homie, but like, I really genuinely just admire the hell out of Shana Texter. She's, she's a badass. Yeah. You don't see, you know, the women beating men, 
you know, in any major sport at all. So it's pretty cool what we have in flat track. So uh, we're going to wrap up yeah. the podcast with rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Am I ready? Oh, rapid fire. I wasn't told we're doing rapid fire. Okay, fine. That means I have hey, to pick hey. like one word, right? That's going to be well, so whatever, hard. W- whatever <laughs> comes to mind. So whatever comes to mind. Oh. So this is your podcast. You do what you want. So what's your favorite <laughs> track you visited? Mm, Springfield. Okay. Lima. What? Lie, Lima. Oh, a little cha- a little curveball right there. So Lima, then Springfield. That's one and two. Yeah. All right. What sports do you enjoy covering the most? American flat track and arena cross because I'm working okay. for them both now. All right. <laughs> what is your favorite part of race day when you go to an American flat track Grand National? You, Scotty Dubler. Oh, stop! Stop it. <laughs> Ro- Rocky Balboa is going to get jealous. Rocky Balboa, cool. I'm getting no, just kidding. Um, uh, gosh, my favorite part of race day, I think the green flag, because there's all that anticipation, and then you're like, yes, they're racing. So, green flag. All right. Who's been your favorite interview? Uh, Jeffrey Carver. I remember once talking to him. I have to tell the story. I remember the race was on delay, and I was like, hey, so what's the plan? He's like, I just want to be like my spirit animal, the rhino, because the rhino can't go – left or right they can only go forward and they can't go back or it's something like they can't go backwards he gave me one of those like very jeffrey carver quotes and yeah. it has been like one of my favorite interviews ever and it didn't like <laughs> at first my first reaction was like what are you talking about but then i was like you know what how smart like what a smart guy like it was it was very funny right on what's your favorite off mic moment from 2019 mm, off the mic moment yep um cool what what do you have to say cole what are you waiting Oh, Cole told me getting engaged to Cole. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't know if there's any microphones or cameras like the or anything. No, that's that's good. I, I like the way Cole's thinking. He's, he's proud. No, he's um, proud of himself, and he should be. Yeah, I think like favorite off mic moment, um, probably at the Buffalo Chip TT. Uh, Ricky Carmichael and I were sitting there and we kind of started commentating the race as it was happening off camera. And that was fun because he's like, Oh, look at him. You know, types is doing this. He's kind of whipping it sideways and he's wheeling here. And that was kind of cool. Like to be able to sit or to stand beside the track with the goat, that, that yep. was fun. That was very cool. That's a good one. I like that answer. So everybody wants to know this one. What do you keep in the <laughs> fanny pack? What do I keep in the fanny pack? Um, just the essentials. So I keep extra pens because you always need extra pens when you write as much as I do. You need lip gloss because you got to look pretty. And I keep a hairbrush because I oftentimes get like just tons of dust in my hair and it gets crazy looking. So I'll brush my hair like right before I go on camera. Uh, I keep a little bit of extra makeup, but the most important thing is definitely gummy sharks. I always put gummy sharks and maybe like a granola bar in there. So yeah, uh, so, that's, that's so, what's in the fanny pack. So gummy sharks, are they flavor? They, they come in different flavors? I don't even know what a gummy shark tastes like. You've never had gummy sharks before? Like, not the, not, well, I don't, I don't know so. what I'm getting you for Daytona. So I, I love like, candy, and like I love candy. It's not candy. They're like fruit snacks. They're like little gummy fruit snacks, and they come in those little sharky oh, packets. All right. They, they have sugar in them, so it's like a nice little, okay. Because you know how some sometimes those days are long for us. Like, we're there at, like, 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. We don't leave until mm-hmm. midnight. So you got to have right. a little sugar, and, like, it's like a cheat day. So get my gummy sharks, and when I need a little sugar, grab gummy shark. 
Okay, I got you. What is one thing you can't go to the track without? Coffee. I have to have a coffee in the morning and my cell phone. Okay. Coffee and cell phone. Last question is probably the toughest one you're going to answer, and it's uh, I got to give credit to Dave Despain on this one. But what are you most proud of? That is so tough. That is a tough one. Cole just said Rocky. Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa. No, um, I think what I'm most proud of is my commitment to my what I consider my calling. Like I'm so committed to telling the story that I mean you even know this year I have I ruffled feathers I ruffled rider feathers I ruffled AFT feathers I ruffled I ruffled feathers this year because I fought to tell the story that I felt moved me and I knew would move people at home and I wanted to always tell the story and I am always going to be that person like my goal my my new year's resolution was to be more agreeable this year so uh but I, I am very proud of always fighting and always asking questions that I feel need to be asked and fighting to tell the stories that I feel need to be heard. So cool. that's a great that, answer. That I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. Right on last, last question, I guess is, uh, you know, when I have a rider on here or whatever, I ask them if they want to say thanks to anybody like a sponsor or anything like that. But I feel mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you the same thing. Do you want to say thank you to anybody? Yeah. If my dad's listening, thank you, daddy for teaching me how to ride a motorcycle so I could have a job someday. And thanks to Cole for always picking me up at the airport and dropping me off at the airport and making sure that he brings snacks in the car to pick me up because I'm always usually hungry when he gets me. So Cole, thank you for the snacks. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time. I need to thank my primary sponsor. I need to thank Scotty Dubler for all of the words of wisdom and advice and the hugs when needed that he provided last year. So Scotty, thank you. Scotty, thank you. Of course. You are welcome. So <laughs> am I, am I going to see you in Daytona or what? So that is TBD. There's a few things that we're working on. Um, I'm definitely going to be a part of motorsports in the coming few months, but I don't know exactly what my assignment is going to be. Uh, so we will find out shortly when the contracts are all signed. So Sounds good. Well, I'll definitely see you in Denver this weekend for the Kicker Arena Cross and the uh, next couple of rounds for that series. So, uh, uh, again, thanks for your time. Denver. Cole's coming to Denver, too. Wait, Cole's coming oh, right to Denver. On. Can we have a party? Oh, Wait. we're going to go get cake. Are you bringing Rocky? <laughs> Rocky's coming, too. The whole family's okay, coming. Okay, good. The whole family's coming. Well, cool. Well, tell Cole thanks for the time tonight, and we will see you this weekend, all right? I'll see you this weekend. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> That's Kristen Beat, huh? That was awesome. You know, I didn't know she actually rode. And when she started talking about it, she said P-dubs, which is, you know, PW50, <laughs> which is the Yamaha. So she's got the lingo down for sure. And it sounds like her whole family is into racing and her fiance supports her in what she does. So it's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. And it, it's super cool to, for me to hear, you know, how she got to where she is, right? Kind of similar past. I, I learned a lot in local news as well. You know, you see how she covers the sport and she's really after the story. So, and it's really cool to hear where, where and why she does that. I was, I was a big Kristen beat fan before, but hearing all that just makes me a bigger fan. I love it. Yeah, I do too. And the way she asked the questions and the questions she asked is, is very good. She's very meticulous. I like all the notes she takes and she asks very good questions. Uh, she's definitely an asset for AFT. And she hustles her ass off, dude. She's 
all over running around trying to chase those stories. So um, you got to respect that for sure. Um, next, we got up uh, Miss Miss Joy. You want to give her a shout? Yeah, let's call her up. Hello. Hi, Joy. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm pretty good. I heard you're a little bit nervous about talking to me, and I don't, I just don't understand why. <laughs> Mainly because I'm not the person who um, answers the questions. I'm pretty used to asking them. So the shoe is but on yeah, the other foot, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. I, ho- I hope your foot can fit in this 11 and a half size shoe. I mean, can you, you think it'll be all right? <laughs> no, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a little while since we chatted, but uh, we'll have a conversation about what we chat about here in a little bit. But we're dedicating an episode to the badass women who cover the best sport in the world, which is flat track. And we had to include you. So I'm turning the table and I'm interviewing the interviewer. Yeah, it's just a bit different. You seem like you're like shell shocked right now. Are you, are you that nervous? I mean, well, let's talk about how nervous you were when I interviewed you. All right, let's do that? it because I, I sure did because I couldn't I couldn't sit still. That's for one thing. I, I paced my house back and forth when you called me, and I didn't sit okay, still. Okay, I didn't know that. That's so funny. Yeah, well, I just usually when I'm announcing, I like moving around a lot and I like uh, taking everything in. But it was just hard to, to to sit and listen to your question and then come up with a very intelligent answer. I'm used to doing the other things, so I know what you're feeling right now. That's for sure. Well, I'm going to do my best to come up with intelligent answers for you. Well, I appreciate it. So uh, for those that don't know, you're a big part, a creative arm for Thunder Press Magazine. And for the two people out there that are listening to our podcast that live under a rock or something, what is Thunder Press Magazine? So Thunder Press Magazine is a V-Twin oriented magazine. We cover all things V-Twin related, new bikes, great stories about people in the industry. Flat track has become something really big that we are pushing because, well, we all love it over here. So just anything, you know, the motorcycle culture, V-Twin related is stuff that we cover in our magazine. And then, of course, on social media as well. So I see the Thunder Press magazine every time I go into Harley-Davidson motorcycle shop. But how long has the Thunder Press magazine been out or been around? So it first got started in the 90s. Um, I wasn't a part of it back then, of course. It got started all the way back then, kind of more like a newspaper-type format that had a lot of events and stuff in it for people who, you know, kind of wanted a calendar of going to um, great motorcycle events. And it sort of got started like that. And then, you know, now today you have a full magazine. We just actually totally revamped the magazine and you have a, like a really great, looks like motorcyclist or something like that. But um, it's really awesome. It's totally changed its direction and it's doing a lot of cool stuff right now. It's growing. And how long have you been working with the team at Thunder Press? So I started back in about June. So, um, yeah, like seven months, almost eight months. So it hasn't been that long, actually. Actually, everybody on the team is new. They just sort of, like, brought in a whole new team. Um, the editor is new, our managing editor. He just came in, like, a couple months before we did. So we've got, like, a brand-new team going on right now. Who do you work closely with at the Thunder Press magazine? Well, our editor-in-chief is Mitch Bame, which probably a lot of people will know from um, him being the editor-in-chief at Motorcyclist for a long time and then... Um, he's also done a lot of work with American Flat Track along the way. And then our managing editor, Callie Kotowski, um, both of those guys and I, we make up the editorial team. So those are the guys I work 
with all the time. We have a blast every day. Right on. So you kind of seems like you wear a couple different hats with Thunder Press. We know you as a writer, but you also do the social media and you're the social media manager. And there's just a lot going on and you do a lot of different things for the for the magazine. Yeah, for sure. I handle all of the social media, which is a pretty big job. And um, that's one of the things that helps our magazine grow and kind of get the word out about it. And then I do a lot of writing for every magazine and also try to do what I can to support our sales staff. So I'm always trying to help out wherever I can, for sure. Well, we definitely appreciate you sharing our little podcast each week. And we definitely appreciate it, you know, getting the word, uh, you know, getting the word out about our podcast to talk about Flat Track. But um, how did you first start becoming a writer? Well, I kind of I've been writing for forever from the time I was a little girl. I can't really remember a time where I didn't write. And I won my first award for that when I was in like third grade. Wow! But I never actually had the idea that I would you know, make a career out of it until later. And I went into the medical field and then circumstances happened. And I ended up thinking, Hey, I might could write for this and take my writing to this. And so I built my own writing business for the medical field. And then eventually I fell in love with motorcycles and started writing about that too. It just sort of happened. So you, you were writing for medical and you went to school for medical, but how did you get into the motorcycle industry? So that's a pretty crazy story. Um, nobody would have ever dreamed I would end up in the motorcycle industry, trust me. But um, five years ago, I lost my husband and he passed away and I was kind of in a really dark place. And um, I found a book, about. I was given a book actually about Malcolm Smith, um, written by my current editor, Mitch, actually. And I read that book and I was like, whoa, this whole motorcycle thing is really cool. And then I read about On Any Sunday, the movie, and I was like, what is this? And I went and checked it out. And watching On Any Sunday, I was just like, wow, I have to know more about motorcycles. And so I just started learning everything I could. And I got to know quite a few people in the industry. And at a time in my life where it felt like everything was just going crazy, and I didn't know where I belonged anymore. It was the motorcycle community that kind of took me in and gave me family. And I feel at home there. And it's just amazing. I love the motorcycle community. And, you know, one of the reasons I love riding for it is so that I can give back to a community that has given so much to me and to my son when our life was really tough. So it's, that's kind of how I got started into it. Wow. That's an amazing story. It shows you how awesome motorcycles right. can be. The community. It's a family and I'm like really lucky that I got to find this family. So cool. That's very cool. And do you still write now for the medical field? Yes, I do. I still keep that business because, you know, the motorcycle industry doesn't make you millions. So I gotta I kinda work both jobs at the same time and keep both going. And I like them both, of course. What is it about writing that appeals to you? Wow. That's kind of a hard question because it's just, it's like it's a part of me. Writing is a part of me. Words appeal to me. Putting something down. Really, it's telling people stories that's so important to me. I feel like stories are so important to our culture and to passing down information. I love to tell stories and I can't get enough of it. It's like I'm addicted to it, sort of. I just keep looking for stories to tell. All right, so you've only been a part of the Thunder Press for seven months, 
but it seems like a large part of that has already been about flat track. Well, I love flat track. <laughs> I mean, it's like the best sport out there. I don't think you're going to argue. I, I will not argue that. I think it's the best sport on the planet. I mean, it, it blows everything else away, and it's got some of the tightest, best racing that there is. So I, I, I just can't get enough of it myself. Uh, that's how I feel for sure. I fell in love with it, and um, I don't know. There's something about racing on dirt that gets me. Okay. So speaking of racing in dirt, uh, I've heard you rode some dirt bikes a little bit. I've been on them a couple times. Um, I have a lot more experience on four-wheelers, actually. I'm getting ready to hopefully go for my street license because um, we're all about the V-twins over here. So i got to get my street license and get out there because I'm just dying to do it. So I need a street bike, need my street license, and I'm ready to go. Did you go to any nationals this year or last year, I guess, now? I did not. I did not make it to any of them, but I watched every single one of them because, well, it's part of my job, for one thing, but just because I love it. We watch everything. My son and my son is a huge fan as well, and he and I always watch the races together. And um, I'm planning to be at races this year, so hopefully I'm going to be at Daytona and get a chance to say hello to everybody. That's going to be fun. That's cool. Well, as a reporter, I'm not going to ask you if you have a favorite rider, but does your son have a favorite rider that he cheers for? Um, he is a pretty big Jeffrey Carver fan. <laughs> he really likes him a lot. Okay. And um. I don't know. I probably can't get away with saying who my favorite is, so I just keep that to myself. Exactly. I, I can't have I can't have favorites either. But you know, I love all of them. They all go out there and and they're living my dream, and I get to kind of live vicariously through them a little bit. But let's talk about some of your work in the flat track world. Uh, what was your first piece that you did about flat track? My first piece that I did was actually for Woman Writer, which is actually um, a related magazine and website to Thunder Press. And um, that was actually on Shanna Texter. What was your biggest takeaway from that article? The girl never quits. That's, it's just as simple sure. as that. She doesn't quit. That is for sure. So recently I've seen some other articles lately about Flat Track that you've put out there. Michelle DeSabo was an amazing piece. Uh, how did that all come together? And, and what, what was your biggest takeaway from your interview with her? Well, I kind of was watching her and paying attention to her, and I was totally fascinated by how amazing she was. And I sort of kept thinking, hey, why has nobody told her story? Because I think there's a great story there. And so um, I was able to get in touch with her, and she's probably the hardest person I have ever written a story about because she is quiet and she is so humble, and that's what makes her amazing. But it was really hard to... Um, get all the information out of her because she doesn't, you know, talk a lot about herself. So I just kind of kept interviewing and going back again and again and asking more and more questions. I probably really irritated her um, with my 50,000 questions, but eventually I ended up with this amazing story. And I was just like blown away by this woman and how awesome she is. And then when I saw her right after the story came out, I saw her like totally rebuild Briar's bike on the track. And the woman's mm -hmm. just a badass. And That's I had cool. to write her story, and I'm so happy I did. And I just got to tell you this. Um, her story is going to be in the Sturgis Motorcycle Hall of Fame and Museum's um, 2020 wow. annual this year. So I'm super stoked about that because the world needs to hear her story. That is huge. Congratulations to you for writing this story, first off. And, and what a person you, you picked to do that. That's amazing. Well, she is awesome. So an awesome person makes the story awesome. It's not really about yeah. me. 
we, we kind of did struggle a little bit when we talked to her too. And, and Carter and I did a lot of research and we had a lot of her accolades through her years, but there was so much stuff that I didn't know about. And I, I, I liked learning her journey from going to, you know, from California as a young girl going overseas and trying to do all that stuff. And I was just impressed just by that alone. I mean, I couldn't imagine myself doing that and she did it and she's a female and she went over there and kicked ass. She did. And it's amazing what all she's done. And I don't think really many people knew all that about her until that story came out. And people were just like, whoa, it got a great response. And that really made me happy because her story needed to be told. Absolutely. I agree with you 100 percent. Also, just recently, an article on Jeffrey Carver Jr. was was fabulous. I, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that likes to read, but I liked everything that was in that article. It was amazing, and that article actually took a lot of time because we talked actually um, multiple times across the season. So I was keeping up with him through the season, and you know everybody who reads it knows that that season was kind of up and down for him. And so we talked just all the time, and I probably—I don't know—I think I had like eight or nine thousand words of notes from interviews with him, which is just like, wow. And so the hardest part about that was trying to condense it into, you know, a magazine friendly piece without losing anything important, which that was so hard for me. So when you interview these people like Jeffrey Carver and, and Shana, do you record all that stuff or you just try to take it all in and make notes as you go? I type as I go because I type really fast. I type like over a hundred words a minute. So I just type as I go because I don't like having to go back and transcribe because sometimes you just can lose something in a recording. So um, I know most people record interviews, but I do not. I actually type the whole time. Wow. It just works for me easier. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same way. I like to to go through and write my notes down beforehand before I get to a race, and it's just easier. I'll already have it in my mind, so sometimes my notes are just something to fall back on. It sounds like you can listen to it and write, and then you can just go and write with what you have. Yeah, and I try to have questions that I want to talk about and sort of guide it. Although a lot of times the questions just go out the window when people start talking. So Uh you never know how it's going to go. What was something that that Jeffrey Carver, his his interview, that really surprised you? I think I never really thought about how much can be in a racer's head when, you know, accidents start happening. And that's something he and I really dug into. You know, what are you thinking when you're out on the track, is that affecting how much of a risk you're willing to take when you're riding? You know, when you've just seen somebody crash, you know, that's something I hadn't really thought about before. And we really dug into that. And um, he was really open about it where a lot of writers probably aren't. And I understand why, but um, just to know what's kind of going on in his head blew me away. I was just like, wow, that's a lot to have in your head when you're riding. Absolutely. What do you think about his 2020 plans? I'm so excited to see what happens, quite honestly. Um, If anybody can race their way into every race, it's going to be Jeffrey Carver, and I expect him to do really well. He's kind of a beat-the-odds sort of guy, so I just can't wait to watch every race and see what he does because I think it's going to be good. I agree with you, and and I'm glad he's just racing the races that he wants to. He's not going out there if he doesn't feel comfortable or whatever, if he doesn't want to ride the TT, he's not going to ride the TT, and and I think that's just going to take some pressure off of him so he can go out there and have some fun again and, and, and really, really go fast. Yeah, I think that's going to be key is for him to have fun because when he's having fun and he's feeling comfortable with the bike and the track and how he's feeling, he, 
it might make him unstoppable. I think that might be what does it. Right on. So we've talked about a few of the past issues. The next uh, issue coming out is the February issue. And uh, you actually got to interview yours truly. And we actually did the interview a little while back, and it took some time to put everything together. But that's coming out here real soon. And that's the interview uh, about me. And I don't like talking about myself either. So um, did you enjoy that interview? I mean, how, are you excited about it to come out as I am? Or, or what are you feeling right now? <laughs> I'm very excited. Actually, it has to be one of my favorite interviews ever. We had a lot of fun. I, I sympathize with you because I know it's not easy when you're used to asking the questions to be on the other side of it. Right. But um, this story is really going to be awesome. I can't wait for everybody to read it. Just kind of for the same reason, you know, as Michelle is because I think that a lot of people maybe might not know your story. And I'm excited for people to see this. I think they're going to read it and be like, whoa. I mean, we know you're the voice of Flat Track, but everything you've done is amazing. So I'm well, excited I, about it. I can't wait for people to get eyes on this story. I'm super excited, too. And, and I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I guess I get this from my dad, but I'm very humble. I don't like to talk about myself or brag about myself. And, and if you ask me, I was just an okay racer. I just went out there to have fun. And and got to live my dream, you know, on the weekends with my dad and, and the Flat Track family and and I just, you know, I'm still living my dream now because I get to go to the races and talk about it. So uh, I was tickled to death that you actually wanted to to do a story with me. And I was uh, uh, I was delighted with our conversation we had. I think it lasted about an hour and 15 minutes. And I felt like we could have kept talking because I felt like I know you just from our phone conversation. Oh, it felt like that to me, too. I felt like I had known you my whole life. I mean, you're really easy to talk to. And that makes it a lot easier for sure. And wow, we covered so much stuff. It was incredible. I, I can't yeah. remember how much um, I had in notes from you, but it was a lot. Yeah, yeah. A lot so, of notes. So, and then fun, one of the funnest projects for me, too, is is just like a, a couple of weeks ago, you asked for me for some pictures. And so to, to go back for me and dig through some pictures that I hadn't seen in years and years because I retired or, or walked away from racing a long time ago was really fun. And then uh, sending those to you and explaining you know where the pictures were from and then uh, you also uh, called and talked to Carter, and you called and talked to Graham. So, uh, man, I just can't wait for this article to come out. I actually talked to Sammy, too. Oh, that's right. Although, Sammy, little, um, little Sammy Sabedra. We email back and forth. Yep, we yeah, talked, yeah. talked to him, too. So right tried to get a lot of opinions, and everybody yeah. had lots of good things to say about you. Well, I think that's because they know that I have a microphone, and I can really embarrass them if they don't say something good about me. Well, I guess it's a good thing I wrote a good story then. Yeah. <laughs> you, you all, we also used some, some good pictures from Jody Johnson, and, and she's going to be on this uh, episode with all of our great women in our sport, as well as uh, getting some pictures from AFT, too. So I didn't want to leave anybody out. But, uh, man, I, I just can't wait to see that issue. And then just recently you've talked to Evan Sin with The Fast and Left, and that's uh, a little, we'll do a little sneak peek, and that's coming out in the March issue. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, I'm really excited about that because I love that film. When I watched it, I actually cried. Not sure if I should admit that, but I did. And um, his story, the story behind it is really incredible. And he told me some really cool stuff. And um, yeah, I can't wait for that story to come out in March. It's going to be really great. Yeah, Carter cried too. I mean, I think he cried and then he rode up there to Kansas with me from Oklahoma. He cried on the way home. We were just talking about it and, and he just he, he cried too. So you're I, not I, the only I one. I didn't cry that much, but I, I definitely cried at the titles. I I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. It's it's a badass movie. All right, I'll shut up. It is. 
It's a really great movie, and I'm really, I'm really so happy that he sent it to me actually before it was out, and I got a chance to watch it before a lot of people did, and wow, it just blew me away. He's an amazing guy, and his creativity is just incredible, and what he's done for Flat Track with that movie is just awesome. Yeah, just just a little idea of somebody taking him out to the local racetrack in Wichita called Jeeps uh, turned into such a fantastic movie. It's amazing how those things happen, though. Sometimes it's the small things that make big things happen, and his story is very unique. I can't wait to get it out there in our magazine. So you know, you said you've been writing for your whole life, but did you go to school for journalism, or did you, is it just something you just picked up? I did not go to school for journalism. Um, I actually went to school to be in the medical field. And um, just writing, I was always good at it. I won, um, I, I mentioned I won an award in third grade, but I went on in high school to win a variety of awards and scholarships based on my writing. I don't know how it happened. It just always seemed to come to me. So um, later in life, you know, I decided, hey, maybe I could do this for a living. And hey, it worked. I'm here. So, Yay. That's awesome. You're not only a full-time writer for a couple different people and a social media guru, but you're a mother as well, and that's also a full-time job. Yes, I'm actually um, a mother of um, a son who has Down syndrome and autism, so he has some unique challenges. Um, he's my stepson from my late husband, actually, but I never call him that because he calls me mommy, and to me, he's just my son. But um, awesome. yeah, I have a full plate. We've got a lot going on. So tell me about his new motorcycle, or I'm sorry, his new bicycle. Mitch said that he just got a new bi bicycle, and I got to hear about it. So I don't know if you're familiar with Strider bikes. Uh -huh. um, have you heard of them? Yes. Oh, cool. Well, um, last year at Sturgis, um, Mitch and Callie, who I work with, they were there for one of the big presentations by Strider bikes, and there was a story about a young man with Down syndrome who they actually helped with Strider Bikes. And um, the head of that company, Ryan McFarland, actually helped him learn how to ride motorcycles. And I was blown away by that. And I really struggled with my son um, learning how to ride a bicycle. It never worked because children with Down syndrome, they have some unique physical challenges and trouble with their muscles that can often make it hard to learn how to balance. And just going to a regular bike sometimes doesn't work. So I struggled and struggled, and I talked to the guys and was like, you know, I wonder if the Strider bike might just be the thing to get him riding because, you know, I want him to be able to ride with me. That's really important to me, and, but mm -hmm. I want him to be able to do it safely. So they actually sent us a Strider bike, um, and I just got it, like, oh, I think it's been almost two weeks now. I built the bike, and I got him on it, and he took to it the first time he got on that thing, and he was gone, and it takes a lot of work for him because it's more work than it would be for most of us. But And then the second time I got him on it, he was just grinning and laughing, and I actually cried because to see that dream come true for my son, just it blew me away, and the kindness and the amazing things they're doing at Strider to help kids with all abilities ride is amazing. So I, I love those people. They're so awesome and making dreams for kids come true. Yeah, they, they're really cool. They are in our sport, too. We do a little Strider bicycle race up there, Rapid City, and uh, you know the Strider bicycle races are really cool. And I never even thought about what you were talking about, the different challenges and, and different things, but having a Strider bike, it made it easier for him. Uh, what color is his bicycle? It is blue, and he picked that. 
All right. And he wears so, a motorcycle helmet to ride it because he must wear the motorcycle helmet. <laughs> right. Of course he should. So we need to get a number yes. 23 number plate to put on the front of it. Okay. That would be so cool. That's true. We need that. That would be awesome. We'll, we'll, have to make that, that. We'll, we'll have to make that happen for sure. I'm sure Jeffrey will help us out with that. That would be awesome. He would go nuts over that. How, how old is your son? He is actually 27. Okay. So nobody believes it because he doesn't look that old. He looks like he's like maybe 12 because right he's on. really small. Yeah. But yeah. Maybe, maybe you can bring him to Daytona. Have you thought about that? Yes, I have actually. I'd really like to bring him there. I'm probably going to need to get some mobility assistance because walking that far would be an issue for him. So I'm going to work on it and see what I can work out with the venue. I've taken him to Supercross before and we had a blast. Oh, cool. Cool. So I definitely want to see if I can bring him over. I think he'd just enjoy it so much. And I know he'd love to meet the riders. He would go nuts. Does he have a favorite Supercross rider? Um, we were both big Ryan Dungey fans, which Ryan is gone now, but um, we were big fans of Ryan Dungey. So, and now I'm a Ken Roxon fan, so I just make him cheer for him. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm a, I'm a Roxon fan too. What he's gone through and his recovery back to the sport's just been amazing. So we're already near the end of the episode, which is time for Graham's question. And Graham was just totally blown away that you called her. And she wanted to know what inspired you to write an article on her grandson. So I like to spend time watching people before I decide to write about them. I'm always kind of paying attention and looking for someone I think who will make a really good story. So I think about things for a long time before I make a move on them. And um, actually, I think that sort of the moment that I really thought I should start thinking about writing your story was last season when so much was happening and so many writer accidents were happening and you were staying so calm. And I thought that was amazing that you were able to stay calm when everything was chaos. And I just really respected what you were doing and listening to you. And I watched you and you seemed like such a humble guy. And I thought, wow, his story should really be told. So I started talking to Mitch about it and saying, Hey, I really want to talk. I really want to do a story about Scotty and get his story out there because I think the world needs to hear about this guy because as people will see in the story, there's a lot more than just the voice of flat track. I feel like you're the heart of flat track and a lot of people might not see how much heart you have in it. And that really stood out to me how much you love it. And I wanted to do a story about you. So we made right it happen. On. Right on. I, I really, really appreciate it. And, and it is hard, you know, that, that, you know, when things happen like that, it's hard to, to keep a level head. But I know that, you know, the families of that rider are watching. I know the, the or they could be there. And I don't want to panic in my voice and cause panic in the pit area and panic in the crowd. So I just try to try to put myself in their position and, and you know, try to get through the chaos or whatever's going on. So I, I definitely appreciate the, the article for sure. And and I can't wait for it to come out. I, I said that before, but before we get into rapid fire, how, how can people get a hold of the, the, the Thunder Press magazine? Is it best to buy one or get it online, or what's the easiest way to read the articles? Well, it's available at most Harley-Davidson dealers. You can walk in and pick one up, or um, you can get an, a subscription for it, both in print and the digital edition, so those are available. So both of those options work. But, yeah, if you have a local Harley dealer, just walk in in February, and there should be magazines there that you can pick up. Awesome. Well, now it's time for the rapid-fire questions. You say you listen to every podcast, so I don't have to explain what the rapid-fire questions are. I just want to know, are you ready? 
I'm ready. All right. What's your favorite motorcycle you've ever ridden? Whatever one I'm on is probably my favorite at that moment. Right on. I like that answer. Uh, what's your favorite? What's your favorite race to watch? And this doesn't—it doesn't have to be flat track. It can be something else. I'll—I'll I'll let it slide this time. No, my favorite racing would definitely be flat track. Um, second would be Supercross because I'm a huge Supercross fan too. But flat track, there's just something about it. It grabbed me. So any particular? Any particular track, or do you have a favorite track to watch? Springfield kind of gives me goosebumps. Okay. Me too. It's. And it's an amazing place. I think uh, it's my favorite track for sure. Uh, what's your favorite part of the job with Thunder Press? Wow, that's really hard. I would say the writing because I love telling stories. But, you know, even in social media, that's about telling stories too. So just the chance to tell stories. And, of course, the awesome people I work with. Okay. Who are some of the writers that you're looking to work with uh, and do a story on in the future? <laughs> you can take my secrets away. But, um Definitely want to do a story on James Raspoli this coming season. Um, I've already talked to him about it and said, hey, I want to do a story about you because we talked briefly about his plans for the magazine. But, yeah, I want to get a hold of him for sure. And then I don't know if um, Henry Wiles would jump on a twin sometime this season. I'd sure like to talk to him for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's going to depend on what happens this season. You know, somebody's going to stand out to me, and I'm going to think, "Hey, I need to write their story." So I don't even know for sure on everyone. You never know. Cool. That's cool. I like that. So, besides yourself, who is the most badass woman in motorsports? <laughs> I don't even think I rank anywhere in there. But um, wow, that's a really hard question. I'm going to have to go with Michelle DeSalvo because I think that woman is amazing. And she still get up there. She gets out there and rides motocross and stuff like that. I know, and she can do everything. She rides. She wrenches. She's like the whole package. So I think she's awesome. Well, a, a little while ago, you said you're you're going to be working on maybe doing a story about getting your your driver's license, your motorcycle license for, uh, for riding on the street. So, what kind of street bike will you get after you get your license? <sighs> I have no idea. <laughs> I've kind of been looking at Sportsters, Harley Sportsters, but I'm really not sure. In the end, it's going to have to be something that fits me really well because I'm short. So we're going to have to go test a bunch, have some fun, figure it out. All right. Well, well, Mitch, that was actually a question from Mitch. He wanted to know what bike you'll be getting when you get your license. So uh, last question, <laughs> I got to give credit to Dave Despain. And uh, he uh, it, he's asked this of his guests back on when he had the TV show back in the day. But what are you most proud of? Saving my son, for sure. I'm definitely proud of him and um, the two of us together. We're making it by ourselves, and I think that's something to be proud of. And then the work I do, I'm always proud of my work. Awesome. Awesome. Great answer. And last but not least, do you want to say thanks to anybody? Yes, for sure. Um, I definitely want to say thank you to um, Mitch and Callie, the editors I work with. They're amazing um, we all get along great, which, you know, I know not every group of people that work together do, but we do. And we, they treat me so well. And this is a question I've been asked actually by multiple women is how are you treated in the workplace? Do you ever get talked down to, or do they act like your deal ideas don't count? And I can honestly say, no, they really respect me. They have never made me feel like, you know, I was an inferior, and even though I'm not somebody who has the years and years and years of motorcycle 
um, experience that they do, they, they always treat me really well. And I'm really, I feel so lucky that I get to work with such an amazing team of people. That is awesome. Again, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to meeting you in person, hopefully at Daytona. I am hoping so. I can't wait to meet both of you, actually. All right, Joy. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you soon. Sounds great. Another interview of another badass woman. That was awesome. You know, I really didn't know much about her. She called me, you know, it seemed like a month and a half ago or so and interviewed me for the Thunder Press. And and it seemed like when I got off the phone with her, it seemed like we had known each other for 20 years. We had a lot in common, uh, as you know, mostly about motorcycle racing, obviously. But um, she is a very cool chick, and, and I, I can't wait to meet her one day. She may be in Daytona. Hopefully, we'll, we'll both get to see her in person. Love that she took the time for the interview with us, but also love the fact that she took the time to write uh, the story about you coming out in February in Thunder Press. Everybody who's listening to this right now, and even people that aren't listening to this, need to go check out that article because it's cool that they took the time to shed the light on you and your backstory and i think everybody that's going to read this story will learn just a little bit more about scotty dubler well it's pretty cool because you know some of these fans that are watching now have no idea that i even raced you know and i raced for a long time you raced uh, but yeah stop it <laughs> i can't even compete in the human race but i you know i stopped racing in 2002 pretty much i may have raced a couple times after that but you know that's a long time ago some of these kids that are in racing right now weren't even born i mean yeah. if you think about it yeah no and she did she did her due diligence man uh she she called graham which i loved because she get graham is in the article um she called sammy uh, i mean got a little perspective from sammy so it's not just you know her talking about your history it's it's talking to people that were there talking about people that you know lived it with you um so it's pretty cool and uh everybody's got to check it out i'm excited about getting my own personal copy you're gonna have to sign it when you're down here uh, in daytona sounds good and uh, speaking of signing things we did our t-shirt campaign we are gonna draw we're gonna draw a name here real soon of everybody that that bought a t-shirt yes and we've got a number plate here that's been signed by both you and i an off the group number plate where did we get that that number plate we got to give them a shout where did we get we got it from Tim Handrich and Pro Plates, of course. Yeah, absolutely. That's the only place to get your number plates. Uh, he, he put together just a little uh, a mock-up of an of a off-the-groove plate and what that might look like. We're going to have a couple of those, and uh, we'll do something cool here with those T-shirts. Thanks again to everybody who supported this campaign. Uh, <laughs> it took us a long time to actually put something out there as far as merch, and uh, you guys really, really showed up and, and represented. Thank you so much for everybody who, bu- who bought a shirt. Those will be printing in the next week, and I think they ship the first week of February. I think right around February 10th to February 17th, right around there. Uh, I might have ordered a couple for myself just so I have backups to my backup. So I'm looking forward to getting those. And uh, who knows, we may do some more down the road. I heard that uh, we need to order some pink shirts next time. That's uh, some of the feedback I got. Uh, So so I'll need to do some pink shirts and uh, maybe a new design and and figure out, maybe we'll talk to some people about designing a new shirt and what we need to do, um, get some ideas from the the listeners. But all right, now we're halfway through. We're going to have another episode tomorrow with two more badass women. What do you think? All right, sounds good to me. I've got to go do some kicker arena cross tonight and then... We'll do the episode for tomorrow. We'll put it out tomorrow about the same time. Yeah. And I'm going to do some more kick arena across tomorrow night in Denver, Colorado. Denver, huh? Oh, Kristen's up there, right? Of course she is. You guys got to go get dinner? I hope so. If we if we get done in time, you never know what time the arena cross gets done. Make sure you say hey to uh, Rocky Balboa for me. Her Actually, her fiance's coming and Rocky Balboa, so I will say hi to you. To me or for, for me? you? Okay. For you. Just making sure. Yeah. All right, man. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good.
never had gummy sharks before.